Hi, this is Liz Ryan, and this is episode five of the Work-Related Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I talk on this podcast about work and the working world and career issues and leadership, HR and all that kind of stuff and um, answer questions. So if you have a question for me, send it to me at support at humanworkplace.com and I may answer it on an upcoming podcast. I'm going to answer a couple of questions today. I just got off another podcast where I was a guest. That's the Lead with a Question podcast that is produced by Rob Callen, Chris Deaver, and Ian Clausen over at Brave Corps. And we were talking about courage, courage uh, in leadership and courage for all of us. It, the big topic for people interested in the workplace, of course, is the change, the unbelievable tumultuous change that's going on in the workplace, how the workplace is really shifting from um, a, a very kind of set in stone, really structured, really formal, employers call all the shots, you know, this kind of a situation for last 50, 60, 70 years to a much more loose and unstructured workplace where employees are going to be a lot more empowered. You know, even with all these tech layoffs going on, really a lot of people losing their jobs in the tech sector still there's almost two jobs available for every person who's looking now that's not obviously a one-to-one matchup with the job that every single person would like uh, uh, coincidentally being available and in their area so it's not like like everybody feels hugely um in a powerful position or advantageous in the job search but it is still a very strong job market in february of 2023 And I say that because I know a lot of our listeners are job hunting at any given time. It is not doom and gloom at all. There's a lot of employers hiring. So I encourage you to, you know, keep that in mind and let that, let that knowledge, you know, power your job search. Because as I said in a, in a, in a post earlier today, there's really two completely different ways to job hunt. And one is to feel beaten down and desperate and unworthy. And that's just going to, that's just going to make your job search incredibly hard, but it's also likely to get you into the wrong job where you're not going to be happy and you're not going to stay. The other way to job hunt is to feel like I'm, I'm kind of beaten down and I'm not at full strength, but I know I'm valuable. I know I bring a lot to my employers and that is personal work. That is personal work with your journal or going on walks or riding your bike or doing whatever makes you feel like yourself and gets you back into your body and out of your fearful brain, which is going to overthink everything and decide that everybody else that you're competing against in the job market is more qualified than you are. None of that is true, but we need to keep reminding ourselves and we need to surround ourselves with people who will lift us up. Got to surround yourself with people who will lift you up and make you feel good about yourself, remind you of what you have and what you've already done. Because I'll tell you, it can drop away really fast. When I've been like down, down on myself, I I couldn't remember any single good thing that I'd ever done. Need people around you to say, snap out of it. Come on, let me remind you. Let me remind you of the good things you've done and how valuable you are and, and why your work is important. We need to surround ourselves with people who are going to grow your flame. But anyway, so we were on this podcast talking about the changing work world. And um, it really reminded me 
that when I was a baby HR person in the 80s, this is the only topic anybody wanted to talk about, how work was going to shift dramatically and cradle to grave employment was going to go away and we needed to prepare for that and we needed to start you know, rethinking our systems. It was very hopeful in the 80s and then nothing happened. It still takes four or five interviews to get a lot of jobs, a lot of office jobs, and but there's no job security associated with it anymore. So our systems and practices have not caught up to the reality of what work is now. And one of the greatest pieces of evidence for that is these clueless CEOs saying, you have to return to the office. We need you in the office. Our culture demands it. I'm like, no, you have no right to talk about the culture, sweetheart, because you've never cared about the culture before until you could use it as a weapon to try to force people to come back to work. And you know, there are jobs that you have to do physically in the workplace, of course, healthcare jobs and service jobs and restaurant jobs, all kinds of jobs, but there's also a lot of jobs you could do from home and people have been doing from home and it's been great for their health and great for the highways and great for, for safety and expenses because you don't have to pay a fortune for dry cleaning and gasoline or train fares. And, and I am not in support at all of what they're doing in, in my state, in New York state, our governor telling employers to force their employees back to work. Cause she, I assume is worried about her friends in the real estate, commercial real estate world who don't want those office buildings vacant. No, come on. That's an issue, but you're not going to solve that issue on the backs of working people. They're doing their job from home and it's working and they should stay home. And here's the thing, right? Reality is the ultimate teacher. Mother nature is the teacher. So if they are forced to go back to work in the office and they don't want to do it, they're going to get another job. I mean, that's that's how it's supposed to work, right? Free market and all that stuff. All right. I got a question to answer here from Cheryl. Hi, Liz. Been a longtime reader of your stuff. I'm a manager and I have an employee who really needs a pay raise. I went to my manager and said, this employee is underpaid. And he said, I don't disagree, but it's not going to happen this year. I feel very stuck and discouraged. What should I do? Thanks, Cheryl. Wow. Thank you, Cheryl, for advocating for this employee on your team. That's a very insufficient and unsatisfying answer from your manager. It's not going to happen this year. It's only February. Come on. Isn't your employee going to get some kind of pay increase this year? Look, it's great that you want to get your employee a pay increase that they deserve. It's going to take a little bit of work. You're going to have to go and get some salary survey research. There's a lot of salary survey information online, luckily. Salary.com and payscale.com. And there's others. And you can even just Google search the term, what does an assistant controller get paid in Chicago or something like that. A lot of information is just out there in other survey uh, data that's been collected and you can find it online. And you put it in a little spreadsheet and then you're going to have to talk about, this could be on a, a little one page report for your manager, maybe with graphics. Um, you're gonna have to talk about the importance of the role, the risks, the business risks, if this person would leave. Don't make your argument to your boss about this person, like they said they would leave. That's, that's, the, that's a very bad way to do it because you know your manager is already feeling a little rattled that you asked this question, although your question is extremely reasonable. If a person is underpaid, that is a business risk and it's bad for the business to have that risk, that exposure, right? 
It's just like if you're selling a product out on the marketplace that's overpriced and other people come in with a product that's equal quality, but it's a lower price, that's a huge business risk to you and you should have, companies should have anticipated that. And if they didn't, shame on them, right? Same thing. If people are underpaid relative to the market rate for their job, then that's a business risk and it's going to cost way more to replace that person and train someone new than it would to give this person the raise they deserve. So you're going to need to collect that salary survey information and then you're going to need to, to kind of write a paragraph or some bullet points about why this role is so critical and tie it to your 2023 goals. Say we're working on this XYZ project. This person is in the middle of that, right? This person is handling bing, bing, bing. And without that work done at a high level, you know, it would really hurt us. Get kind of think like a business brain, like your, your manager is just a conduit. If they shut you down immediately, it means they don't have the power to approve that pay raise that you want. And they're probably embarrassed to say so. So you're going to prep them to sell their manager on this idea of giving your employee, employee on your team, the pay raise they deserve. We call this process selling the seller. You're selling them, your manager, on the idea of why this is really good for the business to sell your idea upstream to their manager, right? And you got to have a goal in mind. You got to, you can't say, this person needs to get paid more. You got to say they need a $10,000 pay increase or a $7,000 pay increase or whatever it is. And, you know, your manager may, may think about it. They may take it to their boss and say, well, we'll give them a $5,000 pay increase and a $5,000 bonus potential or something. And that's probably, that might be the best you get, but it's way better than nothing. Way, way better than nothing. So you're going to do a little marketing. You're going to make this business case why it's important to get this person a pay raise. You're going to get salary survey information and you're going to really present it in a professional way, not just verbally, because then your manager will forget everything you said. You know, if your manager says, we'll not take this upstream for you. And they say, well, you know, we'll take it up again in three months. You'll say, I, I'm going to stay on you. I, I hear you saying that, but I'm going to stay on you for the good of the business. For the good of the business, Charlie, Jane, whatever your name is, I'm going to stay on you about this because this is actually, I'm using all of my political capital, all the brownie points that I've stored up with you by doing a really good job managing this team. I'm using them on this. So I need you to hear me. This is very, very important for this to happen. And if they say, you know, it's just impossible, then you say, so then give me a timeline. When will this, when will this be possible? I, I need to understand why we would say in, in one year, 11 months from now, we cannot give this person the raise they deserve. These are such small dollars relative to the size of our business. I'm, I'm confused. Is there some other element that I'm not understanding? You never have to raise your voice. You never have to give an ultimatum, right? You're not going to say, oh, I think they'll quit. Don't say that. But you're going to be polite and persistent. And this is how things get sold upstream, right? You're going to do a great job. I have 100% confidence in you, Cheryl. Write to me and tell me what happened. So a big topic in these days when employers, whether they talk about it or not, are concerned about retention and as well they should be because people are quitting. I just saw on LinkedIn yesterday a statistic, kind of blew my mind a little bit. It said the average pay increase that someone gets for changing jobs right now, listen to this, 15.4%. That's the average 
That means some people are getting 30% pay increase by changing jobs. What did I just say to Cheryl? It's a business risk to underpay people. You, if you underpay people and they leave, you got what you deserve. That is mother nature coming in and just reminding us how the real world works. Water finds its own level. Got to pay people appropriately, right? So one of the ways to deal with this issue of retention or this issue rather of people leaving is obviously to pay them appropriately. But there's more that employers can do. And I made a list of 10 ways here. I'm going to read it in a minute to listen to your team. Got to listen. What are they saying? You got to know how they feel so you can respond to their concerns, but also to their ideas, to their thoughts, to their suggestions. That's what makes a workplace a community is when people are involved and when they get to contribute their thoughts and then their thoughts are listened to and acted upon and acknowledged, right? So here's 10 ways to listen to your team. I should have written a song. See, I didn't even think of that. Now I'm thinking about it, but it's too late. I'm just going to read these um, without pitches. 10 ways to listen to your team. The first one is that at every meeting you can listen. Every single meeting on any topic, you can say, so how's everybody doing? Is there anything else we should be talking about apart from this agenda? Anything hot? Anything you, do you want to share? What do I need to hear that I haven't heard from you? And you take five minutes to hear, to listen, free form, right? Every one-on-one, -on -one, that's number two, every one-on-one. -on -one. If you're a manager, you have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with your employees, it can't just be you telling them what to do. Could have done that in an email. It's you asking, how are you doing? What do you need from me? How's everything going? What is in your way that maybe I could help move a rock or a boulder out of the way for you? If you work for a company, the company should have a hotline, a confidential hotline. This is so essential. I've been involved in three employment discrimination cases. My participation was an expert witness. And these hotlines are essential because they keep companies aware of things that are going on that should not be going on, like discrimination or harassment. If you don't have a hotline, you have no way to know. Unless people come into HR, super risky thing to do, by the way, or go over their manager's head or whatever to talk about sexual harassment, all of those things are really scary to do. Got to have this confidential hotline. So what happens is when you have a hotline, people call this 1-800 number, and there's usually also web access, and they report what's going on, but they don't identify themselves by name. They get a number, and then they can call in and, and get an update based on their number. And it's just saved a lot of companies from horrible, horrible things happening. And the absence of a hotline, of course, only makes it easier for horrible things to happen and to go on for months without anyone hearing about it. Okay, every HR interaction is an opportunity to ask, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm an HR person, right? I did that work for 20 years. So I would get email from all over the world because my name is like a spam name. It's very easy to remember, Liz Ryan. And people would write to me and from Korea and Ireland and wherever and say, you know, can you tell me about my dental claim? It's like, I can talk, I can absolutely find out about that or I can introduce you to the person who can give you an update on the, on the dental claim. Bad example, because that would be an insurance company, not us. But you get the idea. 
my vacation request, whatever it might be. So then I'm doing a, a, an email back that is copied to another person, their local HR person, and saying, hey, thank you for writing, Sharon. I'm copying uh, Joe Smith, and he is the local HR person in your region. Joe, meet Sharon. Sharon, meet Joe. I know Joe is going to be able to help you with this, um, Sharon. But if uh, you, you don't hear from Joe, he doesn't get this email for some reason, please write me back. So I'm going to be the backstop. I'm going to make sure they get what they need. Then I'm going to say, and also, how's everything going on the job? How's it going? I know you're in the new distribution center in, in Ireland. How is it? How is everything? This is it, right? This is how you build community. You listen and act on suggestions and acknowledge them. And it's so easy. It's so easy. It's just so easy to add that note and actually to mean it and say, you know, is there anything I can do for you? I'm right here. So every HR interaction, email, face-to-face, -face, in a meeting, doesn't matter. Somebody comes in and they say, I need this form. And you say, absolutely, here it is. And also, how are you doing? Is there anything else I can do for you? You start a conversation. Otherwise, you would not have your ear to the ground, and that is what you need as an HR person or a manager. Need that ear to the ground. And that's why the next item on my list of 10 ways to listen to your team is every single manager of every department needs to know they are part of the listening team, not just to the employees who report to them, but all employees. If someone's getting sexually harassed, they're not going to talk to their manager if their manager is the person who's harassing them or condoning and supporting the harassment. And sadly, it happens all the time. But they might talk to another manager, but that manager has to be available and they have to be trusted and the employee has to feel comfortable talking to another manager. So if you're a manager, you have to spread a wide net that everybody around you, everyone you interact with feels comfortable with you and sticky topics, you know. Um, skip level, that means if you are a manager of managers, managers report to you, you gotta know those people underneath that manager who reports to you. This is why sexual harassment is a problem because the higher level manager has no relationship with the people under the lower level manager. They're getting harassed or just abused and mistreated and the higher level manager is clueless and you can't do that. You have to have a relationship with people two levels, three levels down, as far down as your organization goes. Surveys, yes, I'm a believer in surveys, but only for concrete issues, only for concrete issues. Do you support plan A or plan B? What's your opinion? You know, not how are you doing on the job? That's gross, actually, if you think about it. Do you like your job? Yes, no. Don't get me started on confidential, so-called confidential employee engagement surveys. Really a horrible, horrible idea. So insulting to say, I work with you every day. I'm around you every day, but but this is how you get to respond to me. Just, you know, prisoners, fill out this survey and slip it through the bars in your cell. That's just the worst. It's a terrible message, you know? The medium is the message. That's a terrible medium. If you really want to know how people are feeling, you don't give them a survey. How well do you like your job on a scale of one to 10? There's too many facets. There's too many aspects of the job. And this is once a year I get to offer an opinion. Come on. That's not leadership. It's so gross. And then there's all kinds of other issues like, you know, people get down on their employees if they don't give them a good rating. It's just, it's so bad. It's so broken on the face of it. So I don't like employee engagement surveys, but I do like surveys for really specific issues. All right. Town hall meetings, tried and true, get everybody together. And the CEO or a high ranking person answers questions really honestly and openly and shares the plan and obstacles and all that with people. Onboarding reunion, 
something I love is that people start a job often together. A group of people all start on the same day, six or 10 people. You get them together like six months later. You say, hey, you guys remember each other? Let's talk. How's it going on the job? What's going on? What obstacles, what challenges do you have? And you could get ideas for your training, for your onboarding, all kinds of things. And then finally, uh, back in the day when I worked for a company called US Robotics, we had Robo Buddies. And the Robo Buddies were people that stepped up to help newbies get started. So they would actually collect an employee that they had been matched up with. Um, on their first day, they would take, I would leave my my orientation meeting and take that employee, not in their department, employee from a completely different uh, department, they'd take them out to lunch on their first day and then they would walk them to their department and then they would stay in touch with them and actually touch base with that newcomer every day for the next two weeks. And then we did things with the robo buddies and the newcomers and we did a robo buddy um, baseball game this summer. It was Chicago's, we went to the Cubs and had a skybox. And it's the idea that these are people welcoming the newcomers to the company. Now it's not going to be robo buddies in your case, but it could be, a, it's a very simple thing. What's the budget? Like bagels once a month and one skybox once a year to really help newcomers feel like part of the team. And what does it do for the robo buddies, right? They feel great too. They're really ambassadors for the company. This is engagement. When they talk about engagement, it's this kind of stuff, soft and squishy, awesome, awesome stuff. All right, here's another question. Question is from, hard to read this. Are we going to be able to use your name, sir? Alan? Alex? We'll say Alex. Hi, Liz. What do you think of the question at the end of a job interview? Do you see any reason not to hire me? Mm, Alex, thank you for asking. Horrible question. This advice has been around forever. Do you see any reason not to hire me? I don't want you to ask that question. Alex, glad you asked. First of all, they're not making a decision whom to hire in that moment. They have other candidates to meet. They have to mull it over, just like you have to mull it over, whether you even want this job. But it's not a point factor decision. Do you see any reason not to hire me? No, you interview 20 people and you don't see any concrete reason not to hire any of them. You have to think about it. What do you really want in this position? It's a hard decision. There's usually more than one qualified person. Think about that. What if a manager interviews 10 people and they all say, do you see any reason not to hire me? The absence of a concrete reason not to hire someone is not a reason to hire them, right? That's some old, corny, 1950s, weird, do you see any reason not to hire me? Don't ask that. That's lowering yourself. That's like holding, you know, holding them hot. You know, do you see any reason not to hire me? Like if they don't, then they have to hire you. It doesn't work that way. That's a very unsophisticated view of the world. And I'm glad you asked me that question because it's a, it's a horrible question to ask. All this stuff about how to end an interview, right? So when will I hear from you? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not the only person in the mix. Uh, you know, we, we do a bunch of things. We check references. I've checked with my boss. It's just, it's okay to say what, what, what does the rest of the process look like and how long does that usually take? That's totally appropriate. But this idea of trying to push on the hiring manager, you're tired after an hour long interview. They're tired. They have a lot of things rolling around in their head. Don't, don't do that. It's not in your best interest and it's not a good look. All right. You leave the interview, Alex. You say, thanks so much for your time today. I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing the conversation. That's it. And here's the big thing. You let it go. Because that particular job doesn't matter, Alex. You need a job. You don't need this job. 
you go to another one and another one and another one. That's power. When I talk about being in your power, that's what I'm talking about. You're in your power when it doesn't really matter whether you get this job because you're going to get a job. If you have trust in yourself, that's the hardest part of a job search. The hardest part is not to cave and take a crappy job that you're not going to like. All right. So what else? If you're thinking about uh, getting help with your transition, a job search, um, a career exploration, or getting promoted at work at your current job, check out my directory of career coaches at humanworkplace.com directory. These are folks that trained with me and, and understand our approach and our mindset, everything that I've been talking about, how to zero in on your career direction, brand yourself, uh, go on interviews with confidence, really, really well prepared and get the job you deserve. So check out the directory and you can reach out to a coach there through a contact form on the directory. There's a contact form under each coach's profile and reach out to them and talk to them about getting their help with your career. And likewise, if you're interested in possibly becoming a career coach with my help, then let me know. You can reach me at support at humanworkplace.com. We've trained about a dozen people so far, started in October, uh, how to become a career coach and use our curriculum and our methodology and mindset, how to start a business, how to get clients, how to deliver the services, the whole thing, really how to step into your power, helping other people in their careers. So let me know. And thank you very much to Tombow USA that makes the dual brush pen markers that I rely on for my artwork, for being a human workplace sponsor. And if you're interested in also sponsoring what we're doing, reinventing work for people, then just get in touch.